You are listening to the Kensington Church Podcast, recorded live in Michigan. To learn more about Kensington, visit kensingtonchurch.org. At Kensington, we don't believe that just because we're followers of Jesus, that everything in life is going to be okay. In fact, it's okay to not be okay. And Jesus deeply cares about you, and so do we. Year-round, we provide safe and distraction-free environments where pain can be addressed with biblical wisdom and practical solutions. We offer workshops for stronger marriages, grief, divorce, and recovery initiatives for the whole family. 2021 may be your year to address the pain in your life and become a healthier person in Christ. It's been a while since we've been able to celebrate baptisms together, but we've gotten creative and are excited to share there will be an opportunity to take the plunge and proclaim your faith in Christ coming up this month. If you're considering baptism, check out our resources to help you make that important faith decision. If you are a young adult between 18 and 29 years old, make it your resolution to check out the Young Adults Gathering that happens every Tuesday night. You'll find that whether you're a college student Student, a young professional, or newly married, there's a small group for you to join and a community pursuing faith in the same life stage as you. And starting on January 12th, we're beginning a series on love and relationships you won't want to miss. And for our middle school and high school students, in-person gatherings for Breakaway and Edge are kicking back off this month. Our student ministries are all about seeing students connect, have fun, and grow in their relationship with God. If you haven't yet, follow us on social media and stay connected and learn about new opportunities to engage throughout the entire week. We are praying that in this new year, you draw closer to God and feel His presence more than ever before. Happy New Year. Your 
Matthias playing a banjo. <laughs> so the band's got some great songs lined up for us still towards the end of the day. Going to take us into some awesome worship. Killed it during first service. I'm excited about this one. But before we get there, welcome to 2021. It's the most apathetic excitement for a year. But I guess what do we do? We just got through 2020. What a mess that was. It's great to be back here. It's great to be on stage and in the room with you. Uh, for those of you who don't know, I might tell you a little bit more about this towards the end. Man, I got knocked down hard with COVID in December and missed life, missed everything. Missed our family stuff and missed everything here for Christmas. And just like so many of you, I feel like coming out of this last year, just feels like 2020 just took a massive withdrawal. And I know for a lot of us that happened in different ways, some of you very directly, some of you very indirectly, and some of you that withdrawal was bigger than others. But I feel like all of us could say that last year just took something from us. And, I, and I've been wrestling a little bit with that, especially feeling just a certain sadness of what I feel like I personally lost in the last number of weeks. 16 years, I have never missed a Christmas, and I just lost it all this last December, and I, I feel like I'm wrestling with some of that sadness, even up to this point, even today, to figure, all right, God, what in the heck was that all about? And as I've just really been leaning into him, I really feel like he has been speaking back. And I feel like one of the things that he has been assuring me of, and I feel this in the last several days with a real confidence, is that no matter what last year feels like it may have taken from us, this year we're taking back. 
And that I really feel like God wants to deliver something back to us, to our hearts, to our souls, to our minds, to our beings in a way that maybe the particular things that we feel like we lost last year aren't coming back, but God's going to give back nonetheless. And whatever was withdrawn last year, I think Jesus wants to redeposit into our soul this next year. And and here's how I think part of that is going to go. It's going to be really the nature of what this series is about for us as we move into it for the next couple of weeks. In the Bible, one of the people that started more churches than anybody else, some of you know this, but some of you may not, was a man named Paul, the Apostle Paul. Not only did he start more churches than anybody else, it would probably make sense then that he wrote more books in this Bible than anybody else. Because in the New Testament part of the Bible, most of the books that we read were originally letters that were written to the churches that had been started by Paul for a variety of reasons, to encourage them, to instruct them, uh, oftentimes even to correct them. And so it makes sense that the guy that started the most churches wrote the most letters. And one of those letters that he wrote that became a book in this Bible called Ephesians was written to a church that he started in the area of Ephesus. And in many ways, the book of Ephesians, I think, is one of his central pieces of work. It is, in a lot of ways, it is a book that contains the core of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. It's also a book that has both very direct and indirect moments where Paul lays down this challenge to us that as we go through life to make the most of every opportunity that's put in front of us. Not just the big opportunities, the obvious opportunities, the grand opportunities, but Paul lays down this challenge to the Ephesians, and I believe very much to us. And maybe, maybe coming out of a year like last year and into this new year, it's more important for us to grab hold of this. Paul lays down this very clear challenge to make the most of every opportunity that God puts in front of us. And here's what's really interesting about the book of Ephesians. And we're only going to read a couple of verses from it, and then we're actually going to look at another passage today. But I think in many ways, it will be these three verses that will suck direction for us, not just today, but for the rest of this series, all of January. But, but as we read Paul's letter, what's fascinating to me about this book where he says, make the most of every opportunity, and we're going to read it in a minute, is that when Paul wrote this book, when he wrote to the Ephesians, he did not write it from the, the cushy comfort of an office, sitting in a chair, typing on his computer. Obviously, he didn't have a computer, but he wasn't in comfort. As a matter of fact, for those of you that know the history of this letter, when Paul wrote it, he was in chains. He was sitting in a Roman prison, probably on a dirt floor, probably a dank, damp, musty environment with rodents and rats and insects everywhere, and likely chained to a Roman guard to assure that he would not be getting away. And here's what's fascinating to me about that. When Paul writes and he says, make the most of every opportunity, and he puts this challenge out, he does not do so expecting that those moments will only come in the sterile seasons of life when all is well. Very much the opposite. I think when Paul writes these words, he is writing them with an understanding that so often we are able to make the most out of life when life is the most upside down. So I want to read to you what Paul wrote. Because like I said, I think it's going to give direction for us for the next couple of weeks and for today. Chapter 5 of the book of Ephesians, verse 14, Paul says this. This is why it is said, wake up sleeper and rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. And he says, don't live like fools. Live wise. And he says, here's going to tell you, here's how we live wise. Verse 16, making the most of every opportunity. Why? Because the days are evil. Here's what's interesting, I think, about how Paul writes this, is he does not say 
that the things that happen on any given day are evil. He actually ascribes an evil nature to the days themselves. He says the days are evil. Not just stuff that happens, not just things that people can do to us, not things we can do to ourselves. He says the days themselves. So you put this all together. He says, wake up, the days are evil, make the most of every opportunity. It's as if part of what Paul is saying is, listen, there is a certain innate evil that just is in every day, and it is an evil to one end, to lull you and I into a sort of sleep, where we will sleep through the purposes that God has for us, the relationships that God has for us, the potential that God has for us. We will sleep through the very reasons that God put us on this rock. And Paul says, wake up to what God has put you here for. So here's what I want to ask you to do with me this morning. I know some of you don't like to participate, and some of you do. Some of you grew up in a church with a lot of response, and some of you didn't go to church at all growing up. So help me just set some direction for us this morning. I want you to look at somebody near you. If you came with somebody, find them, look them in the eyes. If you came here solo, make a friend. Look at somebody, and I just want you to say this out loud to me. You ready? Just say, 2021 is a year to wake up. Let me pray. God, we do want to wake up. We want to wake up to all that you have for us. And not just this morning, but this next year. And God, this last year really did take something from us. And I think this last year also has the potential to, and what it took to teach us and to instruct us. God, do not let 2020 be a waste to us and that we would miss and even sleep through your voice through this last year. Your voice through this last year and into this next year. God, I pray that you would, through words that were written so long ago, that have traveled through time and through space and from person to person to person, would you bring them to us again this morning in a way that brings life to our soul, that brings reorientation to our soul, that takes us from where we're at right now, Father, and focuses our eyes on Jesus in a new way, in a deeper way. God, I am thankful that you're with us this morning, and I'm also confident of it, whether here in this room or sitting in our rooms and our homes, even if it's sitting up in bed right now, wiping the sleep out of our eyes and turning on our computers and iPads, God, you're with us. That's your promise. Wherever we gather in your name, you're with us, even if just a few of us were here. And so, Father, I just pray that your presence here would be felt, would be known, would be clear. I do not believe that there's any voice from the stage that needs to be heard this morning more than yours. And so would you own this room? Would you own all the rooms of all the people and all the places where we're watching and listening, whether it's today or weeks or months or years from now? And I pray that you would speak. Give us ears to hear. Give us minds to understand your voice. And give us hearts drawn to what it is that you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. So, hey, one, one of the things I want to do before we go any further is I want to thank you all for your generosity that got us to the end of last year in such a great way. Uh, we have so much to do this next year. And I believe this. I, man, I believe. We, we need to look at this next year with a set of eyes and a passion to say whatever 2020 took from us, we're taking back for the kingdom this next year. And part of that is our relationship with Jesus. Part of that is our relationship with one another. And part of that is our open-handedness with what we have. Same open-handedness that got us to the end of last year so good and the same open-handedness that I am confident is going to lead us through this next year to accomplish what God has for us. 
So if, if you're just joining us new, I know some of you, maybe that was your goal, like 2021, I'm going back physically to church. If you are, then just know this, we're not passing anything these days. Uh, you can still give online. You can go through our text. You can go through our website as usual. Uh, all that is on the screen for you. And if you want, you can also give on your way out the door. We'll have some buckets there for you to do that with. Just want to thank you for that. Thank you again for helping us close out 2020 with your generosity. Thank you for all of you that participate in these moments. Not about money. Anybody know what I always say? It's about what? It's about mission. Not about money. These moments are about mission. And what you do in these moments helps us accomplish our mission. So thank you. All right, so the last arrow. Why the last arrow? Well, a couple reasons. Number one, we're loosely basing this series off of a book with the same title. The Last Arrow is written by a guy named Erwin McManus. Some of you probably know McManus. He is author, pastor. He's out on the West Coast. He is a friend of Kensington. He's been here a number of times over the year. And I will just tell you, me personally, McManus is one of those types of guys, never met him. God would not know me from anybody, but he's one of those people like some of you have in your life, just from a distance, he's had an unbelievable impact in my life. Uh, I mean, one of his earliest books that I read uh, really shaped me moving into planning a church years ago. And one of his most recent ones, uh, The Last Arrow, was actually so profound in my journey leaving the church I started however many years ago now, 12, 13 years ago, to come here. And it was really his writing in that book that made me, I think, have ears to really start to hear God's voice. Say, hey, it's time to take your hands off of what you've been doing. And it's time to trust me and move into something new. Like, I just, I can't overstate how much I love this guy. I love his writings. I love his teachings. I love the openness with which he has lived his life in a public level for Jesus. So McManus wrote this book. And it has been profound for us. I've been excited to be able to bring this to you over this next couple of weeks. But I'll tell you, here's another reason for me why The Last Arrow is a title that I think is meaningful. And I don't, know that, I don't know that Irwin would ascribe to this one, but this is mine. I'm a hunter. Don't know how many of you guys in the room are hunters. Be prepared for all the lion stories you've heard over the year to get replaced with killing deer stories. You're welcome. Uh, but I've been hunting for about 25 years. And I think probably five years ago is when I switched, not switched over, but I started taking up bow hunting as well. And I'll tell you, bow hunting, if you're a bow hunter, there's nothing like it. It is way better than hunting with a gun. I still hunt with a gun. I love my rifle. But bow hunting is different. Like when you're in a tree with a rifle, like there's just, there's so many mistakes you can make. I, there are times I've walked out of the woods and harvested a deer and I just should not have. Like I'm like a monkey in the tree making so much commotion, kicking over my thermos or opening something to eat or texting somebody or my phone. It's just reading books. It's just, it's ridiculous. There are times I should not get anything, but when something's a hundred yards away or more, like you just, there's more margin for error. But when you're hunting with a bow, like things just have to get a lot closer, which means that you have to be so much more meticulous with your decisions. You have to weigh them differently. You have to measure them differently. You have to be so much more intentional. I'll never forget, as a matter of fact, the first time that I ever had a deer walk out on me when I started bow hunting. It was the first time I ever walked into the woods with a bow. I'm sitting in my stand, and this deer comes sneaking up behind me. I didn't, never even knew he was there. I only knew it was there because at one point I looked down and through the grate, the floor of my tree stand, I see him like literally right underneath me. I'm like, oh man, it's like, what do I do now? It took me no exaggeration, probably a half an hour just to be able to get to my feet, get my bow and pull back and get my pins on his back. Like you, you've just got to be so slow, meticulous, measured. You guys are like, did you get it? I'm not going to tell you. 
<laughs> but, but you do. You've just got to be completely different when you bow hunt. My, uh, kind of the sage of our group, uh, the guy that's taught us all how to hunt, been hunting longer than any of us have been alive. First time I ever went out with my bow, he said, here's the only advice I'm going to give you. If and when you finally draw back that arrow and you put those pins on a, on a deer, he said, you treat that arrow like it's the only one you walked out into the woods with. And if you're a hunter, especially a bow hunter, then you know this, and it probably is not a big surprise even if you're not. Rarely, like Haley's Comet, rare, will you ever get the chance to shoot twice with a bow. Like once you shoot, that's it. However, when you treat that moment, like there's no backup plan, no option B, no, no other way to do this. Like that's it. It's one chance, one shot, and that's all you've got. You just do it different. You approach it different. You measure it different. You're way more intentional. The Last Arrow is a series about living life that way. Like, what would it be like if we lived our lives with that kind of intention, purpose, detail, and everything? Literally everything. Every post we make. What if we measured it meticulously, intentionally? Every conversation we found ourselves in. Every purchase we found ourselves wanting to make. Every conflict we found ourselves in the middle of, what if in those moments we treated it like that's the only arrow, that's the only moment? I think that's part of what Paul was getting to when he said, make the most of every opportunity. Why? Because the days are evil. And if you're not careful, you will be lulled into a sleep to miss all that God has for you. And I want to be clear, too, that the last arrow, this isn't going to be a series about just doing more things. I think one of the things, especially in our Western culture, that we have slipped into the mindset of is that to accomplish more, I have to do more. That's even slipped into the church so often. We have been guilty many times in the church of convincing ourselves that to become more for Jesus means do more, do more, do more, do more, do more. That's not what this series is about. The series is ultimately about us being more by living in light of what matters most. Instead of what we can so often do, which is neglect what matters most for the simpler decisions in life that just don't. Like, have you ever made a decision? And of course we all have. We've done this. But think about a time that you've made a decision, neglecting the larger picture that you went on to regret later on. Maybe it was something as simple as, or maybe it wasn't simple to you, but like staying that extra couple hours at work and missing your kid's game. Or just making some kind of a decision in life in the moment that neglected the larger reality that later on led you to regret that decision. That's what we're talking about with the last arrow. How do we live a life so that we can root out those moments? So that we can really discover those moments in life where we would go, I'm not making the most of every opportunity. And we can get rid of those moments. I got, there's an example I saw, I think is a perfect example of somebody not living in light of the larger reality. Quick, quick show of hands, how many of you hate spiders? Spider haters? Okay, then you're going to appreciate this guy. Uh, this, I think it was two years ago I read this article of a guy in California that saw a spider. Some of you see this before? He saw a spider in his apartment complex and decided that the best way to try to kill the spider was to grab a handheld blowtorch and chase it around. Until, I don't think he even ever got it, but this is what he did. Check out this article. <laughs> California man accidentally sets apartment on fire while trying to kill a spider. Okay, moment of truth. How many of you, hands down, without exception, you would burn down an apartment complex to kill a spider? Right? This is one of my daughters. She would totally kill a spider. And I maybe burn down the world, I think, to kill the spider. Like, it's like some of you are like, I hate spiders. I totally kill a spider. But here's what I thought when I read that a couple years ago. I thought, man, how many of us are doing that with our life? 
How many of us are pursuing something in life right now that we just think matters so much that maybe only years from now we'll come to realize it was just a spider? How many of us are living to get our hands on something in this life right now that the reality is you're sacrificing and compromising the bigger picture that matters so much more? But you're chasing the spider. In 2000, uh, John Piper, who's a pastor and an author, I'm sure probably a number of you are familiar with him, uh, he's written a number of books, he's spoke at conferences all over the world, he's pastored for a number of years. In 2000, he spoke at a conference called Passion, several thousand people, a number of them college students, and he shares two different stories, both of which came out of his church experience where he was pastoring at the time. And, and they were probably, even for all the books that he's written and all the sermons that he's ever given, this is probably one of the most referenced moments and messages that he's ever had. And, and I remember when I heard it, I think two years after it actually happened, from then until now, it has profoundly and continually impacted me. So I want to read for you literally the transcript when he was standing in front of this group of thousands of people and what it was that he said to them, because I think it has some bearing for us today. He stands up there and he says, this is a quote right out of his transcript. He says, three weeks ago, we got word at the church that I pastor that Ruby Eliason and Laura Edwards had both been killed in Cameroon. Ruby was over 80 years old, single all of her life. She had poured her life out for one great thing, to make Jesus Christ known among the unreached, the poor, and the sick. Laura was a widow, a medical doctor, and pushing 80 years old herself and had found herself serving at Ruby's side in Cameroon for many years. The brakes on their car failed when they were driving, and they soared over a cliff and were both instantly killed. And I asked the people, he's talking to the audience, he says, and I asked the people at my church, do you think that was a tragedy? Two lives, driven by one great vision, spent an unheralded service to the perishing poor for the glory of Jesus Christ. Two decades after almost all of their American counterparts have retired, to throw their lives away on the trifles in Florida or New Mexico. And I say to you, no, that is not a tragedy. That is glory. And then he goes on and he tells this other story. He says, I will tell you what a tragedy is. And I'll read it to you from the Reader's Digest, February 2000, page 98. What a tragedy is, is this, quote, Bob and Penny took early retirement from their jobs in the Northeast five years ago when he was 59 and she was 51. And now they live in Punta Gorda, Florida, where they cruise on their 30-foot trawler, play softball, and collect seashells. The American dream. Come to the end of your life, your one and only life, and let the last great work before you give an account to your creator be, I collected shells. See my shells? My friends, I tell you, that is a tragedy. And people today are spending billions of dollars to persuade you to embrace that tragic dream. And I get 40 minutes to plead with you. Do not buy it. This last um, November, my wife and I decided if, if the holidays are going to be different this year and we can't get all together and do the gathering and do what's normal, then we're not staying here for Thanksgiving. We're going somewhere warm. So we packed it up and we went to Florida for a week. And I'll tell you, it was probably the first time since I can remember that my kids, we got three of them, Daughter just turned 14 yesterday, son 17, first time that I can remember that they haven't spent their entire time on a beach collecting seashells. Matter of fact, I, I raided their room just last night 
Um, I'm going to make a confession, something I admitted the first service. I said I wasn't going to say this service, but I'll just admit it. I'll get it off my chest. You guys don't know this, but girls, for years, I would go into your room when you weren't there, and I would take handfuls of your seashells and throw them in the garbage because <laughs> you had so many of them. There were times I would literally walk in your room, and I think I still have shards in my feet from those things. <laughs> Are you really that flabber? You're, you're horrified? You should see what else I've thrown away recently. But they, like, that's fine, right? Go through life as a kid, collect seashells. It's awesome. Like, I, this is literally how I got this. I went into the room. They're still in there. My son's got a basket of them. The girls have them displayed still. There's certain ones they've got laid out. Listen, that's fine if you're a kid. That's fine if it's a hobby. Here's the point that Piper was making. Some of us are on track to get to the end of our lives, and this is what we will hold up to Jesus and say, it's what I did. It's what I accomplished. And some of us are going to convince ourselves that that's okay because the truth is your shells are bigger. You've got more. It's shinier. It's prettier. It's a better zip code. It's a bigger portfolio. Or, or some of you are going to say, man, that's not even big enough. I got even bigger than that. And some of you are going to go to the end of your lives, and here's the sad reality. You're going to stand before your maker and creator who gave you the one arrow called the breath you breathe and say, what did you do with it? And you're going to proudly hold up a handful of this life, which will be nothing more than seashells, and go, this is what I did. And in that moment, for some of us, Paul's words may re-echo back into our ears, and we'll realize we missed so many of the opportunities that God made us for. Chasing shells and spiders to the risk of something far more valuable. There is a better treasure to live for. And I don't know what your pile of shells would be. For some of you, it has nothing to do with stuff. It has nothing to do with money. Maybe it's a relationship you're absolutely convinced has to happen. Maybe it's something with your kids. They've just got to get on that team They've got to get into that school. Maybe it's a certain status, a reputation among your peers. For all of us, whatever this is, the world offers piles of it. And as Piper said, spends billions every day convincing us this will satisfy your soul. And at the end of our lives, I'm just so worried that some of us are going to have nothing more than handfuls of shells to offer God for the life he gave us. And I know that for some of you, maybe even right now, there's a little bit of a resistance that you feel coming up inside. And, and maybe you would, if we were having a one-on-one -on -one conversation, you would say things to me like, hey, listen, I, I have to work for retirement. I mean, who, who else is going to take care of me when I get there? That's my job. That's my responsibility. Or maybe you would say, listen, I work hard. What's the problem with enjoying what I have and having some fun things in life? Or, or maybe you'd start to do the comparison thing and you'd tell me about somebody else that lives way more wasteful than you that has wasted way more opportunities in life and relationships than you. Somebody that works more hours or has neglected more people or more things, or, or maybe you tell me about why you need that certain car, that certain zip code, you need that certain house, you need those kids and that certain team and that certain school. Or maybe you just say, hey, listen, we can't all take the Mother Teresa vow of poverty. And to all of that, I would say back today has nothing to do with money or retirement or vows of poverty. It has everything to do with priorities. And what it is you and I have allowed to capture the affection of our hearts and the pursuit of our lives. 
It has everything to do with us just having an honest moment of evaluation to say, is this what we're living for? Have we bought into this and believe that this is what we've got to get our hands on? Are we living our lives chasing a spider to the detriment of something far more valuable? Your purpose. Intimacy with Jesus, the reason he put you on this rock. I mean, isn't that why the Bible in one place teaches that we can get all of this, piles of it, mounds of it, the whole world of it, and you can still lose your soul? I mean, if there's anything 2020 has reminded us in a very sobering way, isn't it that this doesn't matter? Because it can all be taken away. A virus can snatch it away. Rules can take it away. Government can step in and make regulations. I mean, there's all kinds of things. If there's anything 2020 reminded us of, it's that nothing is guaranteed and promised in this life. It is a vapor here today and gone tomorrow. And if that's true, then what are you doing with the opportunities that God has given you today, tomorrow, next week, to draw breath, to know him, and to live out the purposes he's made you for? There's a better treasure to live for. There's a story Jesus once told, and for some of you it won't be brand new, and some of you it will. My hope is always, whether it's new or it's not, that God will speak something new and fresh. But Jesus tells a story after a moment of teaching an audience, and he's doing what Jesus often did. He's got an audience of people around him. They're listening. He's teaching. He's instructing. And then this guy in this moment comes up out of the audience, very random, and, and ask something completely unrelated. Like, hey, I need you involved in a situation in my life, completely uh, oblivious to what Jesus was just saying. And then there's this whole dialogue that begins to happen and a point that Jesus makes out of it that I think is so relative to what we're talking about today. Here's what happens. Verse 13 of chapter 12 of the book of Luke. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Verse 14. And Jesus replied, Man... Who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? So clearly you've got this moment, two brothers, probably the older one's got his hands on all the possession. There's been a loss of life in the family. Younger brother, I'm assuming just based on cultural trend, younger brother is wanting what's owed to him. Older brother's not giving it to him. So he concludes this guy, Jesus, seems to have a lot of influence. Maybe if I ask him to get involved, he can influence my brother to give me what I want. And I don't know what Jesus' voice is like in your head when you read him in the Bible. Probably for most of us, it tends to be very, very gentle, very meek, like very soft and quiet. And I think maybe there were times that was true. This is not one of them. Like, I want you to, I want you to hear the angst almost in Jesus' voice. He's just got done teaching, and then here comes this guy. Hey, can, can I for a minute interrupt you? Hey, my brother's got all the money from inheritance. Can you make him give me what's due me? And he's like, dude, who made me a judge or an arbiter between the two of you? And, and here's what's fascinating. As you go on, and we're going to read the rest of what happens here in a minute, but as you go on to read the rest of it, Jesus never goes back and responds to this guy's original question, to his original frustration. I mean, this is every bit like any moment where you and I could go to God in prayer and ask him to involve himself in something going on in our life. That's what this guy's doing. And, and Jesus never gets involved in this moment, in this situation, never even references it again. Which is why I think one of the things that has to be said about a passage like this and a moment like this today that might be one of the hardest things to hear about God, but maybe for some of us one of the most necessary to hear, is that do you realize that there are things that you can pray to God about that he doesn't care about? 
There are things you can pray to God about that he doesn't care about. And I want to make sure you understand me here. You're never that thing. You will always matter to him. Doesn't matter what you bring to him, you matter. But there are a lot of things in this life that we try to get God to care about that we wouldn't care about if we did care about what he cares about. There's a lot of caring about. I'm going to say it again. There's a lot of things in this life that we spend energy trying to get God to care about that we wouldn't care about if we did care about what he cares about. Why? Because we see the spider and he sees the house. And that's exactly what this guy is coming to Jesus about, is a spider. And so here's what Jesus says. He turns to the audience and he makes a moment out of this. He says, then he said to them, watch out and be on guard against all kinds of greed for life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. I wonder how many of us would agree with that and yet live our lives very different from that. Life does not consist in an abundance of shells, of possessions. And some of you might go, hey, that's great, because guess what? I don't have an abundance of possessions. Neither did he. Remember, this guy's not coming to Jesus because he has an abundance, because he has a lack of. He's coming to him with empty hands because his brother's got it all. So when Jesus says life does not consist in an abundance of possessions, he's not rebuking him for what he has in his hands. He's rebuking him for what he has in his heart. A passion and a desire that will eventually turn into what he puts in his hands. That's what greed always is. It is a possession in your heart before it's a possession in your hand. And Jesus says, that's not what life is about. And so then he tells the story, which is a parable, which is Jesus saying, let me, let me put it into an analogy for you. And he says this, verse 16, and he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest, and he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns, and I'll build bigger ones. And there I'll store my surplus of grain. And I will say to myself, you have plenty of grain lined up for many years, so take life easy. Do you know the surest way to ruin your life is to live for this life? That's what this guy's doing. He's like, I got an abundance, so I'm going to build even bigger barns. I'm going to store more than I even need. He says, and I'm going to take my life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you, and then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? And here's where he turns it into the application for them and for us. Verse 21, this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. The guy in the story ends up dying with all kinds of stuff, but completely poor for one reason alone, because he chased that. He chased the spider to the neglect of the house. And no matter how much he had, he died a very poor man. Here's the thing I want you to understand. This really isn't about stuff and money and possessions. I don't care if you got lots of it. I don't care if you got little of it. It doesn't matter. It is about Jesus saying, I want you wealthy. I just want you wealthy to a different end than simply try to get your hands on more of this crap. Because that's all it is at the end. He says, I want you to be filthy rich, but rich in a different way. And he defines what that is. At the end of this, he says, rich towards 
God. And I just wonder for some of us, if he was to evaluate our wealth right now towards God, are you broke or are you wealthy? So I, I love this song that we opened up with. Our band did a song by Mumford & Sons, Awake My Soul. I want to read some of the lyrics to you. They start off, they say, they sing, How fickle my heart, how woozy my eyes. I struggle to find any truth in your lies. I tell you, this world is full of a lot of lies. There comes a point that I pray we have woken up to the lies of this world, most of which are wrapped into getting stuff, success, these things, something other than Jesus to satisfy us. He goes on, he sings, and now my heart stumbles on things I don't know. My weakness I feel I must finally show. So lend me your hand and we'll conquer them all. Lend me your heart and I'll just let you fall. Lend me your eyes and I can change what you see. And then he sings this, in these bodies we will live. In these bodies we will die. One arrow. And where you invest your love, you invest your life. Where are you investing your life? Because if it's just in more of this, it's shells. Where you invest your love, you invest your life. Where you invest your love, you invest your life. And then he sings over and over, awake my soul, awake my soul, awake my soul. To what? To that reality where you invest your love, you invest your life. Sounds a little bit like Paul's, wake up, O oh sleeper. And make the most of every opportunity, for the days are evil. Wake up, wake up, wake up. In the next 12 verses in this passage, Jesus lays out probably one of the boldest challenges of how to live this life in light of eternity and in response to all that this world offers us. The stuff that freaks us out, stresses us out, draws our attention, draws our affection. And this is what he says. And again... This may be part of the Bible that for some of you, if you have a church background, is not new and familiar, but I pray God breathes something new out of these words to us all. Verse 22, after Jesus is done with his story, he then says this to the audience. And then Jesus said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. That's a huge statement. Don't worry about your life. I guarantee there's a lot of worry right now in this room, watching online, between all of us participating in this moment, there's probably a lot of worry. And this is Jesus, don't worry about what? The big things? Anything. And, and you need to understand, this is less like instruction and more invitation. This is not him going, stop worrying. This is him going, you don't have to worry. He says, don't worry about any of it. And he goes on, he gets very specific. Don't worry about your life, what you'll eat or your body, or what you'll wear. Life is so much more than food, more than the body, more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They don't sow, they don't reap, they have no storeroom, no barn, and yet God feeds them. How much more valuable are you than the birds? Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? Since you can't do even this little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the wildflowers grow in labor, they don't spend, and yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you? You of little faith. 
Do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after such things, and your father knows you need them. Verse 31 is powerful. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you. These things will be given to you. Listen, you can seek the kingdom first and get all the things we need, or you can seek all of this, and I guarantee miss the kingdom. Miss Jesus. Miss his heart. Miss intimacy with him. Miss the purpose he made you for. It says, seek first the kingdom and all these things will be added. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. So sell your possessions, give to the poor, provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes in, no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where you invest your love, you invest your life. And I don't know what that feels like to you to hear that, to think that, like, this opportunity to go through life and genuinely not worry about anything. What's on your worry list? Jesus says, you don't have to. Why? Because I will. I'll worry about it. I'll take care of it. I'll make it my issue. I'll put it on my shoulders. You seek my kingdom. And if you do, I'll take care of this stuff. But you seek this stuff, you'll miss my kingdom every time. Seek my kingdom. But seek it first. And above all else, seek it. Don't mix it in with everything else. Not the third thing you seek. Not a big part of your life. Make it everything, the number one thing. Put it first. And maybe you go, that's a great religious idea. Sounds good. But that's a little bit extreme, right? A little bit too intense of a devotion, too intense of a focus. Really like seek everything has got to be about God first. I would just say this. You and I already live with that kind of intense devotion. It's just, it's either to Jesus or it's to this. It's to what this world offers us. And you know how to know if it's this you're living for? It's why so many of us wake up so often just tired and exhausted, frustrated in life. It's why no matter how much we have, we never feel like we have enough. It's why we get the next new thing and a week later it's lost its luster and we need the next new thing. It's why we marry the person of our dreams and lust after other people. It's why so often so many of us wake up each day on the edge of agitation, frustration, cynicism, and depression. We are exhausted chasing the spider, amassing seashells that just don't matter in light of eternity, in light of intimacy with Jesus, in light of what he has put you here for and the purposes he has made you. It really isn't that how could we live with such intense devotion to Jesus? It's really how could we not? Because is it paying off to live with such intense devotion to anything else? I feel like this is, this is a lesson that is really me being taught right now. I, I told our teaching pastors earlier this morning that I really feel like this is one of those Sundays I, I wish I could be out there sitting down. I feel like I need to be. I feel like I need somebody preaching this to me. The last, I mean, the last couple of weeks have been a crazy time of God doing some reorienting for me that I'm still trying to process through and understand all of what just happened. I mean, I'm telling you, this, that COVID is, this is awful. I've never been that sick in my life. 16 years, I've never missed Christmas and I missed everything this year. I was so excited to be a part of Christmas with you guys this year. First time with Orion, 
I was a big part of writing the messages this year. I was so excited. We missed Christmas with family and Christmas here. And it was just, I, I, I'm genuinely still wrestling with a sadness and with everything I feel like I lost. And I had this friend of mine, Nick, that kept reaching out to me throughout the whole thing. And, and like from day one, when he found out I was sick, this is so Nick, if you knew him, he's like, you need to start journaling all the things you're learning. I'm like journaling? I can't even walk to the bathroom without help, dude. I'm not journaling. There's no coherent thought coming out of me right now. And so thankfully, when I finally got to the end of it, like two weeks of just being down and out sicker than I've ever been, like I really was like, that's when it just kind of hit me, this sense of loss of everything. I started wrestling with it. I'm like, God, what the heck was that about? Like, what do you want me to learn from all that? And I was talking to my friend Nick again, and, he, and Nick said, he said, maybe the lesson is, that now that you're recovering, it's God teaching you, he's faithful to you. And I'll be honest, like immediately that just didn't sit right. Because I remember thinking, there's a lot of people in the hospital right now that aren't going to get out. There's a lot of people that have died from this. Like If me getting better is God's faithfulness to me, then what's his faithfulness to them? And so I actually kind of got frustrated at one point. I'm like, God, this can't be about you just telling me you're faithful because I got better. Because then that doesn't apply everybody. And, and I don't know how when you talk to God how it goes, but I really do feel like we can hear him. I feel like he impresses things in our head and thoughts and, and things into our heart. And I feel like he really began to speak back to me in this moment. And I feel like he said, this isn't about me proving my faithfulness to you. And I had this real moment where I feel like God said to me, I would have been faithful if you died. Because my faithfulness is measured at the cross and nowhere else. I'm always faithful to you. And then I feel like he flipped it, like only a good dad can do. And he said, but are you living faithful to me? And all of a sudden, it's like he began to expose some areas in my life where this has become a little consuming in some places. And it started to become more important than it should some places in my life where I think I'm trying to get my hands on the spider. And here's the beauty of Jesus. And for some of us, maybe this is what 2021 will be, is that Jesus is the God of the redo. Like, there's just not a lot of things in life that afford us a redo, right? Usually a relationship gets ruined, you don't get a redo. Job gets ruined, you don't usually get a redo. There's not a lot of things in life that give us the opportunity of a redo. Jesus does. And not once. There's a book in the Bible where it says that God's mercies are new. Do you know how often? Every morning. His mercies are new every morning. God is the God of the redo. Jesus gives us the redo. And I just had this really tender moment with God in the last couple of weeks where I feel like he said, I'm always faithful. But I'm inviting you to live more faithful to me. Because that's where your soul will be satisfied, enriched, deeper, and where you will taste the beauty of me and what I made you for that this will never give. Here's the only application I want to give you for this morning. And I want to ask you to do this throughout the rest of the series. It's a prayer. We're going to put it on screen. I encourage you to write it, take a picture of it. But every day, find a moment, find a place, maybe multiple, maybe several, to pray this. Because I really believe, listen to me, God wants to talk to you. He's got things he wants to say to you. He's got some reorienting he wants to do with you. It will fill your soul like nothing else will this next year. Here's how we're going to ask him to do it. 
Jesus, cultivate my heart to care about the things you care about and let go of the things you don't. It's very simple, but it's very clear. And I'm gonna invite you every day for the rest of this month throughout the course of the series, you find time to pray that prayer and ask God to respond to that. And, and I believe he will. So let me be the first to do it on our behalf. Jesus, would you please cultivate our hearts to care about the things that you care about and grant us the grace and the strength to let go of the things that you don't. In your name, amen.
Sometimes they, they start off all slow and like, oh, this is a really mellow song. And then before you know it, it's like, what just happened? <laughs> like, they just blow it out of the water. I just also realized there's a uh, baby Yoda in the audience. This is awesome. Very cool. Say hi to baby Yoda before you leave today. Hey, two quick things before you walk out. Um, some of you are like, what the heck was the baby Yoda thing about? I don't know. I just saw a baby Yoda sitting there. It got my attention. <laughs> I got ADD. Uh, as you walk out this morning, our prayer team is here to serve you as always. However, they're not going to be in the back room where they usually are. They're going to be in the lobby by the Christmas tree. So if we can listen, if we can pray for you, if we can just be with you for a moment to encourage you, let us do that. Also, I just want to highlight really quickly and thank and appreciate and ask you to help me do it as you leave our parking lot crew. These are some of the worst days to be on that team, to get up early, get here, get everything cleared off, be out there in the cold and the snow. So probably none of them are hearing me right now because they're probably all out there in the lot. But y'all are so awesome. We appreciate you so much. Would you guys just thank them as you walk out, wave at them, tell them how much you appreciate what they do. You are loved. We appreciate you being here with us for the morning and looking forward to going through the rest of this series with you for the month of January. We'll see you next Sunday. You've been listening to the Kensington Church Podcast. If you've enjoyed this recording, check back weekly for new content. You can find Kensington on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and of course, at kensingtonchurch.org.